Hi, and welcome to the Saxophone Academy. I'm Dr. Wally Wallace, and on this week's episode, I chat with my co-host, Dr. Susan Fancher, about some exciting industry news and product reviews. We check out a new CD by Matt Olson, and in the studio, we talk about saxophone air and phrasing and how to make yours better. In the mailbag section, we answer some of your questions, and if you have a question for the podcast, please do reach out. You can reach us at our new email address, thesaxophoneacademy at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. I know. I killed so many trees today, Wally. Well, they grow back, to my, to yeah. my understanding. Sue? Wally! How's your week been? Good! Yeah? Yeah, I can't even remember what I did last week. Well, that... I'm moving forward, man. <laughs> I can tell you what I did yesterday. What's that? I did play Escapades yesterday oh. with the Women's Wind Ensemble on the go? Faculty Collage concert at UNCG. It, was, yeah. it went well. We all stayed in the same place the whole piece this mm-hmm. time. <laughs> That's that's a good thing to happen. And we had way fewer live music moments oh, yesterday. It was really fun. Yeah, yeah. It very well. cool. So, yeah. students, how how are your students doing this semester? My students are great. I have some really great students. I like all my students. They don't listen. You don't have to say that. Well, they listen. They don't okay, have time never mind. To practice, I'm sure. They're, I'm sure they're great. <laughs> of course, they listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mostly. Yeah. I, I do repeat myself a fair amount, though. <laughs> Well, as but teachers, that's good teaching, right? <laughs> that is good teaching. You know, um, repetition is the um, yeah. mother of mastery. I don't know what this saying repetition is. Repetition is the mother know, of skill, I think. You know the French word for practice? What's that? Repeter, which means to repeat. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh, good. So, so I'm going to go to the practice room and repeat. <laughs> I don't mind. Actually, I'm, I'm one of those, yeah. those weirdos that I can put on the, the metronome real slow and just spend an hour. Oh, yeah. And like, I'm, I'm perfectly happy. Yeah. Just zoning out and repeating oh, stuff slowly. Not working zoning out, but being in the that's zone. That's going to that's like my newest thing, my biggest pet peeve is work with a metronome. Okay, here's, you know, here's the thing, Wally. It's yeah. not enough to just have the metronome on what? while you're playing. What? You should actually play with it. I message unclear, <laughs> message unclear repeat. <laughs> it's hard. I spend a lot of time with metronome on that. I have too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Escapades and well, oh, everything that's else. That's a killer. I, I always play if, a lot. If you haven't, uh, listeners, if, if you haven't heard Escapades, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the soundtrack recording. It's from the movie Catch Me If You Catch Can. Catch Me If You Can. Starring Leon, a young Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio. And Tom Hanks. And Tom as Hanks. The FBI guy. And he's great. And they're both yeah, dashing. They're, they're awesome. Yeah. Uh, the soundtrack is, is largely saxophone heavy. Yeah. And it's been adapted into a concerto by John Williams. Yeah. And the alto player's name is completely escaping me on the soundtrack. Oh, Dan Higgins. Dan Higgins. He's awesome. He's, he straddles the line between like straight ahead, classical, and jazz. It's a gorgeous tone. He's playing yeah. is so musical, and yeah. it doesn't fit into any box I can think of. Yeah. But it, that's one of my favorite recordings. So I'll put a link in the show notes. So if you haven't heard Escapades, yeah. um, I'll put a link to Dan Higgins playing the soundtrack. Well, here's a bonus for our listeners What's too, that? Wally. So Kelly Burke made this arrangement for alto saxophone with wind quintet. Yeah. And she is very happy to make the parts available okay. to anybody free. Good. Yeah, because she couldn't sell it. She needed permission to arrange. Well, that is true, And I seriously actually. doubt Hal Leonard would cough that nope, up. Nope, she didn't yeah. have it. That's okay. Right. But so the yay. Undergrad. Until, we get, a, until we get a cease and desist from the, from the rights owner, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to make that available. Yeah. On the second awesome. day, look to the east. <laughs> or check the website. Okay. So what's going on in the saxophone world, Sue? What is going on in the saxophone world? Well, let's see. The Van Doren Emerging Artist Competition deadline is December 6th. Mm-hmm. And coming up. Yeah, it's coming up. And that is for saxophonists, I have to remind our listeners, uh, between the ages of 18 
and 23, there's a jazz category and a classical category. Yep. Go online to Van Dorn or just VEA competition and you'll get that. And also, I was just reminded this week that in Dinant, Belgium, Belgium, as we speak. That's a country yeah. in, in uh, Europe. In Europe, on the other side of the pond from and why, us. And what is special about Belgium? Why would saxophonists care about Belgium, Sue? Why would we care about Belgium except Other than for, the chocolate well, ooh, and the beer. I forgot about Chocolate and yeah. the beer. Mm. Those well, are good reasons. But why is saxophonists, should we care so much about Belgium? Saxophonists, the thing is that uh, our darling Adolf Sax was from there. Never heard of him. Okay. Yep. Okay. And Dinant is where he's from. Okay, right. So they And have, so they have this competition. It's ev- only once every four years. Mm-hmm. Um, the first winner I think they time was, it with uh, cicadas, I think. Like. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Oh, uh, was this very well-known saxophonist now, Vincent David. Mm-hmm. Looks like Vincent David for us Americans. Vincent David. Yeah, Vincent David. He won the first one. I can't remember what year it was. I want right. to say nine. So this is, to clarify, something. this is a classical competition. This is a classical competition. And so that competition is for saxophonists of a high standard of every nationality, <laughs> I know, likewise, <laughs> who have not yet reached the age of 31. Well, there okay, I'm yeah, out. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm out, doubly out. Oh, good. Yeah, it was the, it was the age limit that was I, stopping yeah, me. exactly, Wally, yeah. just wait. Yeah. <laughs> so we would have entered if we weren't too yeah. old. <laughs> what's, I find it interesting about the, the what's it called, the international, the, the right. Swiss Miss... Adolf Sachs International Competition. Yeah, Let's yeah, just say yeah. it in, in the yeah. What I found about the funny is that is the first round is live, meaning any any chowderhead that can put their horn together and fly <laughs> to Dinant, Belgium, can play the first round. Well, they did change that. They now. did? They did change that. So there's a video pre-selection Oh, now. thank goodness. Yep, I thought it was borderline, yep. not unethical, because this is your own choice, but I know so many people that flew to Dinant, Belgium, <laughs> played for three minutes, and then... Uh-uh. But maybe they just wanted a, an excuse to fly to Belgium. Oh, and, and if you're like... It's networking. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, if you're yeah. a quasi-professional saxophonist who claims any income as a saxophonist, and you flew over for that competition, you probably could write it off on your taxes and legitimately, right? even as a saxophonist. And then eventually <laughs> so, the IRS would say, hey, you've been not hey, profitable hey. for 10 years now. Yeah. We's going to call this a hobby. Yeah, yeah. and and that, that game's over then yeah. yeah but you know how cool i've never been there so how cool would it cool would it be to go to dinant i've during, had a lot of friends during go. the competition yeah. and just hang out apparently the whole town i think it's something like oh if i read the number right um fourteen thousand people live there so it's a little town yeah and like the whole town gets behind this thing people stay with host families yeah that's true i had i've had friends stay with host families and they get to yeah. know a little bit about belgian culture if that's a yeah. thing that you'd want to do <laughs> I guess. I just think it would be a blast to go. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Is it open to the public to sit in on the competition? I, I think I'm the not final sure. rounds, or at least you can get tickets oh, to. How yeah. cool would and that And everyone be? goes and gets their picture taken with the, the town square um, statue of... Of, of Adolf Sachs with a big Sachs. old saxophone. Yeah. I think it's super funny. And they get a piece written for the final round So that's going on right year. now. That's going on right now. Okay. Yep. So cool. And uh, two Americans are on the judging panel this year, Deborah Rickenmeyer. You're not Tim, your teacher. Tim Who's... McAllister. Uh, she studied with Fred Hamke. That's what it is. You guys, yep. okay, same lineage. So, yep, same lineage. And and Tim McAllister is also there on the on the judging jury. Never heard of him. Let's move on. <laughs> Tim. Yeah, he's, he's not doing anything in our field right now. Oh, yeah. no, no. He's not active well, at all. In, in the coming weeks, we'll be checking out some of his, his oh, recordings yeah. are coming out. Tim's, They're Tim's hard to a, keep up with. Very, yeah, it's hard to keep up with his activity. Yeah. He's really just out there just doing the thing. It's so awesome. What else is going on in the saxophone world? 
Uh, what else is going on in the saxophone world? Well, let's see. Um, my Marcus Bana double case for <gasps> alto and Custom soprano. Custom ordered. Is still not here. Marcus Bana. I know, right? Which is his name. Yeah. So Mar- hopefully B. it's, I, I'm, I'm betting it's not here because they're taking so much care to make sure it's the awesomest case Hand stitching, hand stitching, <laughs> putting in the- I did already know. pay for it, so I sure hope I get it someday. Hey, maybe they'll come by Christmas. Oh, that would be a wonderful yeah, Christmas gift that you Christmas paid for gift. six months prior. Yeah, right. Or it'd be eight, eight months, months prior. <laughs> okay, well, this I is I kind good. of wish it would show up because this semester I have been, so I've been t- doing a lot of teaching and having to lug soprano and alto to all these different right. teaching dates. And it would have been nice to have a single case, but it's all good. Well, it's good I'm consu- not going to be bitter about it, No, but that's it, good Wally. consumer advice <laughs> that if you need a case in a hurry, because like, oh, I'm flying somewhere, I need a double oh, case. yeah, no. This is not the one you want. This is not the one you want. If no. it turns out to be good, which you'll let us know, yeah. then yeah, order in advance for future traveling seasons. Yeah. But order it now it's, for it's, Christmas It next seems year. like we're going to need a good ye- <laughs> year lead time. Yeah. Is it possible they have some standard finishes that would ship out faster, you think? Maybe. I'll have to ask them about yeah. that. But I think they, they custom make every case, right. so well, I'm not sure it makes any difference. Our tabs on that. Yep. Uh, uh, the the pink gold emerald ligature, which is new. That <laughs> we has haven't been, mentioned it in a while. I know. I feel, I'm disappointed <laughs> in us. The fl- yeah. So you have another student that has adopted. Yeah, I have a student, and I she needed a new mouthpiece and a new ligature, and I said, well, you know, for ligature, you know, get one of those Van Doren Mo ligatures because they are awesome. And I said to her, sorry, David Gold, but I said to her, you know, it doesn't really matter that much. I think it matters a little bit, but it doesn't really seem to make much difference to mm-hmm. me which finish. David so Gould is your Van Doren rep. He's my Van Doren guy, yeah. Okay. He's also, by the way, a really awesome clarinet player. I got one of his recordings lately and I was oh, like, yeah? wrote to him, I'm like, well, that's- David, whoa, this is incredible. I've, I mean, I yeah. knew he was good, but the guy's... Yeah, I don't. I can't say the word on the air. It's a, okay, he's, he's really good. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I, so I told this student, listen, it doesn't really matter in terms of how it's going to sound or respond, which material material you get. And I know she's a grad student, and yeah. you know, money's tough to come by when you're a graduate student in saxophone performance. <laughs> yes, it is, <laughs> or any subject really. And uh, so, but she wanted the pink gold because it would look so pretty on her. She's got a cannonball, one of those like silver, dark oh, colored, yeah. and it looks yeah. really great. And she said, well, it's worth the extra bucks to Heck me yeah, to is. get the, the pink gold because how often do you buy a new ligature? And it's true. Well, that's you don't why step I play it, uh, the Charles Bay ligatures because yeah. they're so beautiful. It's, it's I play really my beautiful. Charles Bay Rococo ligature because it looks beautiful. It is it, gorgeous. It falls so off not, all the time. Yeah, and no, you're I'm not going to step on yeah. it. You're going to be careful about it. Reasonably so. <laughs> careful. Yeah, my my kids come down to the the studio sometimes, Uh-oh. and I'm like, oh, Hi. maybe I should maybe I should get a <laughs> more durable ligature. That, anyway, so that's my news. What do you have, Wally? Okay, so I reached out to. Well, let me let me preface. Let me back up just slightly. You know, when we talk about alto sounds, especially when we think about, okay, what player do you want to sound like? And so we we always tend to, there's a million knockoffs of certain types of mouthpieces. There's, you can actually buy a Meyer. There's people that try to buy the vintage Meyer. Yeah. Um, the the Meyer Brothers New York model, which goes for a good one to be five, $700 on, right. on eBay. And who knows what it plays like. Uh, and there's a million micro brands ripping that off. Not yeah. ripping it off. That's unfair. Um, o- homaging it. it. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, you know, because people want to sound like either Phil Woods, Cannibal Adderley, or a handful of other people who play that. Uh, there's other pieces that sound like players. But when you think about some of the most iconic alto sounds, hmm. I have not talked about this with an advanced Sue, so she may not agree with me. Can you think of a player that has just like a truly beautiful, distinct sound that is not copied a lot these days? That's not copied. Oh, geez. I mean, my By, favorite tenor sounds probably 
Michael Brecker. Sorry, Branford. I mean, Branford Marcellus, my yeah, yeah. friend. No. <laughs> well, I mean, Alto specifically. Alto. And I'm thinking about an Alto player that well, intentionally tried to sound, Woods sound like a dry martini. Who's a, that? A gentleman that played a lot with David Brubeck. And has one of my favorite albums with Jim Hall. Paul Desmond Desmond. was this towering player. He won the downbeat um, reader's favorite poll year after year. And he traded off with Phil Woods a lot Um, on who won what year. Had one of the most distinctive alto sounds. And he joked that he was the slowest alto player around. Um, But I just adored his. I've always loved his sound. And I've always tried to bring some of it to my playing. Not exactly. Um, yeah, his, no. Um, but I he's love been a that, hero that for a lot I of us. I love so many of his recordings. And there's a there's one of my favorite albums is called uh, First Place Again, Paul Desmond. And it's First Place Again, meaning off from the, the reader's downbeat poll. Yeah. And it's uh, him with quartet with Jim Hall and guitar. It's so beautiful. And his work he's with Brubeck is beautiful. Gorgeous sound, well, yeah. You don't see a lot of people um, knocking off the mouthpiece that he played on. Not a lot of people may know. He played it on a mouthpiece, a small mouthpiece company called MC Gregory. Huh. Now, here's where this gets interesting. I was curious, like, are there any mouthpieces that play like that? Because right. I adore that sound, and no one's trying to mimic it. And I think a lot of modern players could use a little sweetness yeah, in the no, sound. Yeah, a really gorgeous sound. Yeah, I've it, always thought that if you were a classical player and you wanted to play in a jazz style, that a place to start would be copying Paul Desmond because, yeah. you know, not to say anything negative about jazz sounds because it's great, but he's... He takes so much care with the beauty of the it's beautiful. sound. He was a clarinet player uh, first, I believe. On. I think he was a reasonably established ah, clarinet player beforehand. Had stu- heard studied, you know, that. the French clarinet stuff. <laughs> makes sense. Uh, but anyway, so I was wondering, like, man, and those the in, the vintage MC Gregory mouthpieces are very expensive. Are there still um, some out there? Uh, yes, but they're very expensive, hard uh, to find because yeah. it was not a big mouthpiece, and I can't think of any other prominent players that played on them. Well, here's the thing: there's another mouthpiece company, modern today, called Morgan Morgan Mouthpiece Company. Oh, yeah. They make some classical mouthpieces, the three C, four C. They make some popular jazz models, the Excalibur, I believe it's called. It's got the cool metal uh, oh, yeah. band on the shank. I don't know um, these yet. They're Is good. It... Um, none of their jazz mouthpieces match my aesthetic. They're good. They're hand finished. I believe. Okay. That sounds like anyway, Frank Morton. No, that's a different person. Frank. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but the, whoever the Morgan started with a mouthpiece, you know, maker, yeah. they make clarinet mouthpieces as well. Um, and I, I adore their work, their craftsmanship. They're a small family company, I believe. Cool. And they just seem like cool people. And But none of their mouthpieces match my aesthetic. They'd be great for like if you really kind of driven lead alto playing. It's not my aesthetic. Right. But I found out that they bought the molds to MC Gregory mouthpieces. No way. So they've already made the baritone saxophone MC Gregory mouthpiece. But I reached out to them and I said, but apparently, the rumor has it, do you guys have the mold to the alto MC Gregory mouthpiece? Oh my gosh. And someone from uh, from Morgan got back to me and said, yes, we own the molds and we have the molds to the MC Gregory mouthpiece, which is the one that Paul Desmond played on. Yeah. And I said, okay, so when will you make them, pretty please? Right. Now? <laughs> and uh, they, they said, thanks for your interest, blah, blah, blah. And I said, because give me one. I will review it on the podcast. I will send you fruit baskets. It could be a great crossover mouthpiece for crying out oh, loud. Oh, I, my god! I just, yeah, I want to, I'm really excited about this. And they said, we'll look at it later this year. So listeners, oh. if you would, write the Morgan Mouthpiece Company yeah. and say, Wally says, make this now. Um, Sue thinks this would be a great idea, and so uh, oh, let's pressure them. Oh, I think it'd be them. great. I would try it in a minute. So they're trying to work Don't in getting the uh, the mold. <laughs> I guess you have to clean up the molds and or whatever. Oh, I suppose. I don't know how that works. I don't works. know anything about it. Yeah, but anyway, so they have the mold. So I, that's something I'm very excited about. That I'm going to keep that pressuring is them. Cool. So I'm going to be insufferable to that company by constantly begging them. Is it done they're yet? Is it done yet? Is it done yet? They're going to block you, man. Is it done yet? It's like the kids in the backseat. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? So I want the listeners doing it too because I want this mouthpiece made. 
And that's all I have for industry <laughs> wow, news. Wow, that's all exciting stuff. Yeah. Now, we have a CD to talk about this week that you shared with me. Yeah. And I, I can't even remember how did I hear about this. Oh, on Facebook, of course. I heard that our dear friend, Matt Olson, who teaches at Furman University. You know, I'm, I actually, I've never met Matt. You don't know Matt. Oh, my know. gosh. You guys seem like you would go way back and, like, do you know what I mean? Like, you seem like the kind He's of guy that- has got a bad that, sense of humor? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what am I trying to say? I feel like if you guys sat down, you would just start talking like you'd known each other forever. I, He's yeah. just such a great guy. He's really fun. I, and I don't a, feel like... What a player. Uh, right? And yeah. if you talk to him, he's just so, like, humble and just... I like that. Yeah, he's So you found out through Facebook guy. that he had an album out. He's got a new album out. And it's called 789 Miles. And it, yeah. what a sound. What a sound. Oh, my God. And, and beautiful lines. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, just so much soul. And oh it my is gosh. a trill recording, as you might have heard from that clip right there. Yeah. So it's tenor saxophone, drums, and organ. Organ. But not like church lady organ. It's not like what you would hear in, in church. <laughs> There's no choir with this. Pipe it's organ. the Hammond B3 organ, uh, which <laughs> right. is, you know, has such a huge impact in jazz, soul, rock and roll. Um, and it's it's a really cool combination. It's a widely used combination, and it I really love the way he played with the, the organ, composed yeah. with the organ. So tell us about this album. Well, I don't know a lot about it. Well, I have to dig into it some more. But uh, Matt sent me some great information, and this is of course um, taking advantage of other faculty and students at Furman to kind yeah. of put together this this CD these days, uh, or recording. Yeah, are they going to even press it as a CD? I don't even know these days. That's the question we all ask ourselves when we make a recording. Yeah, Do I, I, bought, it on, I bought it on iTunes. Bother? I don't know yeah. if it's even a CD. But anyway, you can buy it on iTunes. $8.91 <laughs> on iTunes if you want to support, Matt. Oh my gosh, should. that's a deal. Yeah. But you know, the way it is for a lot of people at faculty institutions or uh, academic institutions, people who are faculty can often get research grants to kind of help them with the cost of producing right. a CD. Because these days, I mean, let's face it, you're not going to get rich selling a CD. What? Or, or, or a recording. What? There's so many middlemen My business here. plan is shot. I'm so no, sorry, yeah. Wally. Yeah, so he's just so, at Furman University, yeah. which is a small private school in South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a trio recording. Um, some of the tunes are by students. Some are current students. Some are alumni. Oh, yeah? Some are by Matt okay. himself. And yeah. So one of my favorite, well, the title track is 789 Miles. And do we know what... That comes I from. saw this just, I asked Matt if there were liner notes. He said, well, there aren't really liner notes, but I can send you information. So he emailed me a bunch of information. Super mm -hmm. generous. And 789 Miles is a tune that Matt wrote. And he, he wanted to do something unaccompanied, he said. Uh -huh. And he's, he uh, was telling me that it's 789 miles from his current home to his childhood home. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. I so get, that's kind of fun. And I get, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just kind of like 
yeah, kind of solo piece. Yeah. Unaccompanied. Yeah. At first it started when I was first looking at the scene. It's like, oh, this is a cool opening condensa. And it's like, no, this is taking on a life of its own. Yeah. And it's the entire track. And it's this kind of, yeah, I can almost yes. see a little searching longing in the Yeah, in what the he said was, it, you know, it's supposed to be mostly introspective. Yeah. And then he said some of it's structured, but a lot of it's just improvised. Yeah, it's and really I don't beautiful. Mean just as just, but you know. No, yeah, yeah. No, it's really beautiful. Ah, oh, he's just such a beautiful player. And one of my favorite tracks on there, um, the space between. Forties, fifties noir, like you know, movie <laughs> with the. It's just, just cool and what a, what a tone. Yeah. Beautiful musical playing. Great guy. Um, so, <laughs> I like this one a lot. We're gonna recommend this one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> just some giggling because his note for stomping at the Savoy, which is a standard that people will know, but he said, "I love playing in D flat, D flat concert." <laughs> Why? <laughs> and I like playing on this tune. <laughs> It's a great album. Go, Matt. Um, and you know him. How long have you? How do, how do you know Matt? Oh gosh, I don't even know how I know him. I think maybe actually my husband Mark really knew him first. I've met him at saxophone conferences, mm-hmm. and he's just one of those people that you feel like you've known your whole life. I didn't go to school with him, and we're not from the same place, but oh, he's just he's just a really nice guy and really smart and very soulful. I like that. Yeah. Well, good. All yeah. right, and if you're yeah in South Carolina, you should go. Hit well, him up for a lesson. Absolutely. Yeah, oh complain. my gosh, go study with him all if you're right. looking someplace to study jazz. Yeah, uh, one of my favorites for all, in a while. And I still love the it's the trio with the the organ. Just really, yeah, it sounds. It great, works really right? cool with the compositions. So go check that out. Put a link Yay. in the show notes. Enjoy. Uh, if you want to drop um, eight dollars ninety one cents on iTunes, like Worth I did, every penny, I think so. And you can support an artist that way. Yeah, and that's important. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Sue in the studio. In the studio. What are we talking about today? Well, I hope you know, because you you suggested it. Oh, oh yeah. We're talking about blowing through lines. So we can also call that phrasing. Phrasing? Phrasing. So here's here's the thing um, that we all do. Well, maybe all is overstating, but we all tend to do, especially at a younger age, is we shift the air around a lot while we're playing a musical phrase to be expressive. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like we might make a note swell, something like that. Yeah. And we think we're being really expressive or if we're, you know, yeah. And it turns out that it's not so good to have in- individual notes swelling out of the phrase as a rule. I mean, right. I guess if you decide to do that once in a while for effect, it mm-hmm. could work. But generally speaking, when you play a phrase, you should decide a point of the phrase or where you're going to or what the important note is or the high point, whatever you want to call it. Find the structural tones or skeleton tones and then blow like you're playing a long melody just with those long tones and then just let somebody else move the fingers around. But it turns out this is a pretty hard habit to break. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we all, you know, I remember my first year um, at Northwestern, basically that's what Hemke worked on, I would say the first semester, the whole year. And then it continues on after that. Other things too, of course, (laughs) I had lots of problems to fix. Um, But that's where the Hemke hug, you know, sort of come 
comes in is that what he would do is have you just blow into the saxophone like you were just an air compressor or something like mm-hmm. that. And then he would move the fingers around. And his whole point was to get you to stop shifting around. Well, you're, he didn't want you shifting around your tongue position and embouchure, right. but also to not shift around your ear while you're playing and just blow through a line. And I've been working on this with some students lately. I'm always working on this with students because it's, right. a, it's a problem that we all have when we're students, usually. Yeah. It's a rare student that doesn't do this. Yeah. Well, I think... Maybe, and oh, I've always referred to this as micromanaging the phrase. Ah, that's is, a good way of thinking And so, thinking like, it. putting little extra, the field, students feel as if they're being emotive yes. or being interesting, and they're kind of creating all these little mini pivot points in the phrase, and it's missing the forest for the trees. Yes. Because you're hitting all these little mini cadences, and they're trying to be interesting with it. Yeah. I think one of the problems with that is we do have some um, prominent recordings, especially back in the day when there weren't that yeah. many recordings. You want to listen to the Iber Concerto, there's a handful of recordings you could right. find. And there were some players that had the readily available CDs back in the day where they did. Right. They micromanaged the crap out of yeah. phrases, trying so, to be expressive. Yep. And it didn't make any musical sense. It was Right, little kind motives of, instead of a whole right. phrase It was kind of sentence. pretty, I guess. But there was a player that had a CD out that these little mini football crescendo yeah. swells <laughs> on every single, every phrase in any... Any half note or greater value would have this, yeah, yeah and, and it exactly. doesn't make any musical sense, right? So I think we have some bad examples, but our the pedagogy of the saxophone is moving at exponential rates now. Oh yeah, players absolutely. are getting so good, teachers are getting so much better. Yeah, because we are a young instrument. Yeah, relatively um, speaking. But yeah, sure I remember are. I remember listening to a CD and I was doing that, and I had a teacher say, "Why are you doing that?" I said, like, "I'm playing it like we'll not say the name, right? Um, <laughs> I'm playing like this." Held up the CD that yeah. I was listening is like, yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. But that was one of the few available yeah. CDs with the orchestra back this then. This is part of the reason that the whole idea about listening has changed so much. When I was an undergrad, um, well, when I was younger than that, there were almost no recordings of saxophonists that were readily available at all yeah. to begin for, with. For and the when, classical repertoire yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, yeah. I mean, I listened to a lot of jazz is what yeah. I listened to if I listened to saxophone. And when I was in college, I don't think Hemke, I don't remember him ever encouraging us to listen to any of the recordings that were available right. because they were question of questionable value yeah. to listen to them. Marcel Mule probably being a good exception, but I don't think he wanted us to play with that vibrato either, right. as awesome as Marcel Mule was. Yeah. So yeah, and it comes out of good intentions. This they're trying so hard to be expressive. Yeah. And uh, but boy, when you can clean that up and really do like find some notes that are structurally important to the phrase and make the student play a really good phrase using just those long tones. Right. And then get them to add the fingers back in without switching stuff around. But that's the hard part. Yeah. Right. The notes back in, you start going, Ooh, adding those. <laughs> it's, it, uh, I think analogy for that. I see it as, is like overacting with stage actors or actors, uh, bad yeah. actors overact. They try to overdo every little motion and it right. feels like that overdoneness. Yeah. Do you teach at a fairling? Yeah. The 48 famous oh studies. Oh my gosh. The slow etudes are the best way to work on this. Yeah. And for yeah. the jazzers out there, um, you know, uh, speaking of Paul Desmond and Charlie Parker, they oh studied gosh, French right? etudes, you know, oh, yeah. they studied French clarinet etudes. And I, you know, so these are invaluable for learning phrasing, jazz, classical, whatever. The problem with the slow ones, as you say, is there's all this ornamentation. Yeah. And then people start to mess with the airframe, uh, right. micromanage these phrases, yeah. and it makes no musical sense. Yeah. 
So it's true. So Emily Laboda came and did a master class with my Duke students a couple of weeks ago. Who that is? She's she got her doctorate from UNCG. Where that? And that's in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, that's where we and, live. Okay. And she's yeah. she's a really awesome player and a terrific teacher. So one thing that she talked to the students about was, um, and this was really more for air um, support. And focus. And yeah. she said, you know, try to imagine that you're blowing into one of those little coffee stir straws. You know, when they were plastic, we're trying to get yeah. rid of plastic. So they're usually... Now like, I use a cocktail shaker for my coffee. <laughs> well, okay, if you're not using the cocktail shaker... Caramel macchiato, for your, for shaken, not stirred. Coffee, you might have a wooden stick or right, something right. like that. But we used to have these little straws, right? Yeah. Six inches long or something like that. They're tiny, tiny little straws. And she said, imagine you're blowing into this tiny straw but you have to get a lot of air through there so there's a lot of support and you have to really push because mm-hmm. she said she thought uh, got thinking about why her students sound like that and why she sounds like she does and she found that the biggest difference was the amount of support and physical energy from the core of your body that right. she was using to blow into the saxophone so yeah. that was a good way of also addressing this idea of blowing air over an entire line. If you think more about the horizontal lines and less about the vertical stems. <laughs> I think in general, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about the the line and where it's going. Yeah. And having seen your former uh, teacher in master classes, Oh man! Every right? every fiber of his body is like literally trying to like use psychic energy to stretch these players to mo- to move where the phrase is going. Oh, I I one of the greatest things I'm so glad I got to do so many times was sit in on master classes when uh, Fred Hemke was teaching. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he was just so much about the music, and it was always interesting. You would hear the player doing kind of technical things that really needed to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And he wouldn't talk about those. He would just talk about the music and blowing through the line and the phrasing and how it sounded. And suddenly so many of those technical problems would just fix themselves. Right. And so that's one thing I always try to get keep in mind when when teaching is try to I don't like I'm not really a micromanager on oh do this with your tongue, do this with your lips, right. do this. I mean some things you have to, but you know, I just really talk about the music and usually that that fixes things. Yeah, oh, model what needs to happen and let them yeah. discover the tools to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, speaking of melody and not over micromanaging phrases, I find that in a lot of the jazz world, um, we have some beautiful melodies in standard tunes. I was just going to say before when you're talking about the fairling, well, you know, we in jazz, we could use ballads, right? Oh, you know, I love, um, you know, tunes like Still by Starlight, All the Things You Are. Yeah. They're beautiful melodies, but in the jazz world, it's, your players will like, instead of just holding a note and letting it be beautiful, like, well, let me embellish. And it turns into the R&B singer singing the national anthem. There's oh, nothing yeah. wrong with that, but it's <laughs> no, exactly. It's just too much. And it's like, there's a beautiful yeah. melody. Not the national anthem. That's, I don't think it's a particularly beautiful melody. Uh, right. But you know, Stella by Starlight, it's such a beautiful melody that I think, um, and there's some great quotes by players way better than me, basically saying, play the melody, yeah. insert blanking, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and I've heard players say, play it simple, blanking, blanker, blank. Yeah, right. <laughs> Inserting curse words, meaning like, yeah. just let the melody sing. Yeah, uh, We don't have to micromanage through, geez, right? yeah, so yeah. much, and we don't have to add in every lick we can play in between, you know, a whole note can be played as a whole note. We can add a little vibrato and blow through that phrase. You know what one of my favorite ballads is? What's that? Willow Weep for Me. I love that. Isn't that a great one? Yeah. Why don't you record that sometime, Wally? Um... Well, I'd have to Can be I make li- a request? I'd have to be licensing. Oh. 
Yeah. Oh. I'm kidding. And Ronan. No, I don't know. I love that. <laughs> Next time you're on a gig, I'll yeah, come yeah. and request it. Will wait for me. Not because Freebird. I like doing nerdy space <laughs> theme stuff. Yeah, yeah. Freebird. Um, <laughs> I'm working on the Duran Duran tune right now, actually. Are for, you really? Yeah. Oh, how I, fun is that? Everything I'm doing is through the, the lens of nerdy stuff. Cool. So that's why I'm not dignified enough to do Will wait for me. But I will put a link in the show notes. Speaking of that, yeah. um, Gene Amons. Um, oh. tenor guy wasn't as huge of a name as some other players but I know that name um, sure yeah big player um, spent a lot of time in prison to my understanding so oh, lost a good chunk of productivity time um, but he's got a uh, there's a compilation set of him playing ballads called Gentle Jug Oh. And Jug was his his nickname. Okay. Um, but he's got a recording of Willow Weep for me off the compilation I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. That melts my soul. Really? I, I don't know it. it. Yeah. Oh. Um, I don't know how to I'll reach out, out for the licensing fees or I'd insert a clip right now, but I will put a link in the show notes and let YouTube worry about the licensing yeah, fees. There you go. <laughs> so whoever uploaded to YouTube oh. can worry about the licensing fees. But okay, right. I can't wait to hear yeah. this podcast now, Wally. So <laughs> speaking of air support, before yeah. we get to some listener yeah. nonsense, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you get your students to use better breath or air support? What? How do you do? You, do you have any tools or tricks? Well, or? some, some. I mean, some simple things like blow like you're blowing into the music stand, or imagine you're blowing through the neck of the saxophone right into the wall, right. or blowing out a candle. But I really liked Emily's like coffee, like stir, coffee stir stick idea. What do you got, Wally? Well. No, I th- that works, and I do think yeah. about that visualization in um, in the martial arts. In order to get power, we talk about not striking the target, but striking behind the target. Uh, and you're not obviously yeah. you're not literally strike you know right. kicking through the the heavy bag, but in trying to do so, it you it changes your body mechanics to yeah. reach that goal. So it's a metaphorical you know process, and I like that a lot, like yeah. blowing through the stand or you know having imagine I for my students I say imagine I'm holding a candle here blow out the candle yeah and you're right if you don't support the correct way but I I do a little bit of talking about anatomy yeah um in that you know when we take the breath it's basically and I learned this from the old VHS cassette now kids gather around let's talk about what we, <laughs> back VHS. before the internet <laughs> we had videos on tape and they were holding a cassette and it was called a, VHS a big one <laughs> yeah a big cassette tape every they time don't know what a and every time you well. watched it it looked a little worse because it would degrade. <laughs> but anyway, so um, Donald Senta, the great uh, pedagogue, Timothy Callister's yeah. teacher, yeah. Uh, had this old video called Senta on Sax. And he talked about a lot of different things. Did this crazy thing where he would talk about tonguing, put ink on his reed tongue, and then show his tongue to the camera. So where the tongue... Where, it, was his, it was a hoot of an old video. And he's got this dorky sense of humor. It's really charming. That's but, a great idea, though. He, I haven't seen this. Yeah, he talked a lot about proper breathing, and he would draw a little diagram of the lungs and would say the greatest room for expansion is Downward. Downward, Because yeah. our ribs do move a little bit because of cartilage, so we breathe slightly outward. Right. But the biggest room for expansion is the lungs going downward. Yes. And when the lungs go downward, they squish all the squishy, squishy guts, <laughs> which means our tummy or your right. ab- or your stomach right. pushes out. Right. So proper breath, he would say, as imagine if you breathe downward, it pushes your stomach out. Right. Ever and see I a singer? He, Yes, yeah. their tummies are moving in oh, and yeah. out. And he even talks about, when you think about it naturally, like a dog sleeping or laying on its oh, side, panting, yeah. you see its stomach moving. Yeah. Or I think even in this uh, this hilarious old video, he talks about when you watch Grandpa after a Thanksgiving <laughs> meal, I think it's from this video, or maybe it's, somebody, maybe it's a really boring dream I had. When you watch your grandpa <laughs> sleeping, a completely relaxed state, not trying to, you know, the, you see the, the tummy moving up oh, yeah. and down in a relaxed state of breathing. 
So I have my students pull the stomach out, and it's a little weird because, like, in this day and age, you know, we don't want people to be conscious about, like, right, you know, and yeah. as, as I was gaining, mm. shall we say, stage presence in college <laughs> from a lot of good beer and food, <laughs> you know, I didn't like to particularly like having to stick my stomach right. out when I was playing. I was like, ah, oh, come on. But pulling the stomach out and then tensing, because exhalation yeah. is, now breathing in is we can affect, it's an, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's a, not a control, we don't control the mechanism of moving the diaphragmatic muscles. Right. It's involuntary. Right. We can move our abdominal muscles to assist in inhalation, but we don't literally control the muscle. Exhalation, forced exhalation, is forcing it beyond what happens naturally of the diaphragmatic muscles contracting to the relaxed position, right. is abdominal muscles tensing. Right. So then I have my students breathe in, pull the stomach out, then feel like they're doing a crunch or a sit-up. And for some of these college kids, it could be like, what's that? <laughs> so then you send them to a gym class. No, I'm kidding. Um, and then, so, and I would heard you're, you said with Londex, correct? Yeah. I've heard um, in master classes, Londex would have students play, oh, he teaches like Banff or did a master class at Banff. Some of my friends that went, they would say he would have you blow a phrase and while you were playing, he would run around and poke your stomach <laughs> hard. I know. Jean-Marie Londex, this tiny little uh, French man, would, would yeah. stab students with the, the I assume the racer end, oh, with a pencil to make sure that the abdominal <laughs> muscles are tense, forcing the exhalation. Right. Right. So I think there's a lot we can do anatomically yeah. to make sure we're breathing correctly. Yeah. And brass players are huge into this. There's even books called like The Breathing Gym, which just sounds super exciting. Right. <laughs> but you know, if you if you either yell or if you actually do a really intense stage whisper, you have to use those muscles right. the correct way. And so sometimes I will make people do like a stage whisper in their lessons. And some of some of the students are really self-conscious about it, but I just make them do it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because you know how to do that. You know how to use those muscles. If you're yelling or if your life depends right. on getting somebody's attention, your muscle. You know, you're just gonna do it. It's I think, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, and like, or if we're sleeping, we'll do it naturally. But I think when yeah. we have the saxophone on our hands, we just have so much other stuff to think about. We do. It's true. Which yeah. is why the yeah. very first thing I do once uh, every morning. This is not the first thing I do every morning. Every every <laughs> first thing I do when I'm practicing. Right. The first thing I do every morning is, is let the puppy outside. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed the last episode. You can hear Moxie slightly can crying you? in the background. Oh, yeah, uh, dear listeners, Mox. I assure you she's well fed and happy. She was just upset that she was not in Sue's lap during Aww, the recording of the podcast. But so when I was cute. editing last week's podcast, I was like, "Oh, you can hear the dog crying." <laughs> oh. It sounds really sad. The dog is perfectly happy. Yeah. She was just oh, mad. that's a very happy dog. She was just mad that Sue was not holding her while we were. Well, recording I the petted podcast. her right you afterwards did. last you did. time. I yeah, did. she was so excited she peed on the floor. On the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I had a point somewhere that I've already forgotten about. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've completely derailed this thought. I'm really good at that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Breathing, uh, phrasing, oh, abdominal muscles. <laughs> what the heck were we talking about? I got so excited about Moxie. I, I forgot know. what you were talking about. Phrasing, Molly. kids. Phrasing. I'm sorry. I know. I, I had a brilliant point. Oh, I did you want did. to say through for Jazzy Jazzersons, for the jazz players out there, phrasing, another thing we can do, other than just learning the correct analogy, uh, anatomy and learning yeah. that, is learning to blow a lighting phrases, meaning rather than, because a lot of players will learn patterns, they'll learn two five patterns, because the right. bulk of jazz, you know, can... Two five, two five chord two progressions five, yeah. are just everywhere. Even yeah. if you have two bars of a dominant, you can turn it into a five. Sure. So a lot of players are learning two five language out of books, patterns, stealing it, not stealing, but learning yeah. from other players and taking a two five pattern and putting it through 12 keys. The problem is that's a two bar phrase. 
And I used to learn that way. Before I met my mentor, Chad Eby, I would learn these patterns. And there's nothing inherently terrible about learning patterns, but that's what I did. I learned a pattern in 12 keys. And then playing a solo was like putting together pieces of a puzzle. The problem was I was always learning two-bar phrases that would have an endpoint. And so I was playing reasonably convincing bebop language. And after a performance, when I was getting my doctorate, I was really diving into into the jazz idiom. A friend of mine, very gifted player, came up and said, Wally, you sound great. Um, Actually, this was feedback for everyone. Yeah. Um, The entire, you know, jazz group got together and the entire program. And she said, Wally, there are a lot of great things. I really like your playing. Um, She was not rude about this, but she said, but I feel like you play two phrases that are really interesting. And then it just stops. And I said, that's because David Baker didn't write a third measure. Because <laughs> I was learning this, um, yeah, how to play yeah, bebop by David yeah. Baker, where it would be yeah. these two measure patterns. So what I would like to encourage my students and listeners to do in the jazz style is to, yes, if you want to learn the two, five patterns and 12 keys, do that. And there's sure. a lot to be gained from that. But then not only practice two fives, practice pickups into the next measure. So if we take the bridge mm-hmm. to all the things you are, it's a, it's, it's the the falling circle of fifths going around, adding a flat, essentially, in these two bars of dominant chords that you can turn into two fives. So instead of just practicing two bars, two bars, two bars, practice the measure two leading into measure three. Practice measure one, two, three, four. Right, going a, into five. I went, my math ain't good. <laughs> measure five going into, so instead of always starting the phrase and then ending at the end of that two five and yeah. then starting a fresh two five, Start specifically, take some time to carve out conjoining the two fives, yeah. eliding the phrases, where the phrase doesn't necessarily begin right at the beginning of that two five or end right at there. Practice right. eliding the phrase. And it's something you have to practice. Right. Because uh, when she made that, uh, that comment, I went back and listened to the recording. I was like, oh, yeah, that's really annoying. <laughs> and it just didn't that's fix cool itself that she up naturally. On that, yeah. And you'll notice when you transcribe solos of the greats, and that's the difference between transcribing and learning patterns. Patterns teach you to measure patterns. Yeah. Transcribing the greats, you'll find, you know, when I was transcribing Art Pepper or Charlie Parker, they're never just starting on the the two five and then ending. Right. It's always a beat, two beats, three beats before and going past hmm. or starting a new phrase in the middle of the two five. So yeah. I think even once with the airstream, we have to think in jazz improvising about not just blowing in the two bar chunks. Yeah, and it was a, it was a hard, yeah. hard habit for me to break, honestly, which is why transcription is so important. Yeah. So phrasing, I'll, let's, um, is there anything we could use other than a coffee stirrer? Because I don't think they have those at Starbucks have, anymore. Well, you can use a normal straw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just think about that. Or, yeah. Or fill the straw up partially with Play-Doh. There you go. So <laughs> don't aim it at anyone. Yeah, so you get, you get more restricted airflow. <laughs> okay, there goes yeah, yeah, yeah. spitballs. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's something else I want to talk about phrasing, <laughs> but then in talking about Moxie and editing, I completely lost it. So we got an email. Um, I, I had asked if anyone had experience with the Read Geek. The um, Read Geek. The Read Geek right. Read Tool. And if anyone, and a couple people had let me know that they had a good experience. Okay. Uh, I saw a couple of review videos because I actually, rather than just asking listeners, I did a little bit of research. Yeah. I was annoyed by doing work, you know, because I want the listeners to do the work and just send it to me. <laughs> so I got an email from Michael. Uh, it's definitely been effective in trying to get the perfect sound out of read. It's used along with Rousseau's read guide. 
I have no idea what Rousseau's read guide is. I'll look no. into that. I probably won't. Um, and it covers everything <laughs> from where to etch to help the low notes fixing. Oh, I guess that's a guide of which parts of the reads control. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the same one I had when I was in uh, middle school. I had a teacher who gave me some information about, you know, where to scrape on the that, read. Okay. If this was your so problem I'm guessing it's there. like a chart, not like a yeah. Sherpa. And I, I had a little read knife and tried oh, okay. for a while. I was either bad at it or impatient or... Uh, I don't know. I just didn't. I, I'm good to throw the read out yeah. and just get another read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, he but. said uh, he, it was definitely a help for him at Brevard when he said Great. he had 10,000% uh, humidity days where it'd be sunny 99 degrees. Yeah. So, uh, good endorsement from, uh, from, from Michael. <laughs> uh, but now this is where it's interesting. This, this is a comment. Okay. Um, that he said, and I, I want to see how we feel about this, that he's heard from an unnamed person that he believes that developing... No, so I've had several people reach out and say the read conditioning technique that we talked about yeah. in episode two Oh, gosh. I don't, it was a long time ago. About, and then I even made a video about it. Um, breaking in reads. Breaking in reads you and conditioning. You called it conditioning. conditioning. I called it breaking in. You called I'm it conditioning. very sophisticated. You are very. That's what I, I love puts, about you, man. I put, I put the chocolate <laughs> milk on my Cheerios because I'm fancy. Ooh, yummy. Um, he said that he had a professor that thinks you should develop the skill of playing reads out of the box rather than conditioning. It allows you to have different reads depending on the sound you're trying to get for that day. Well, already then. I mean, yeah. the, the only reason I play a read straight out of the box is if it hasn't been opened yet and I'm starting to break them yep. in or condition them. Yeah. And the only other time is if I've really not paid attention to making sure I'm breaking in and rotating my reads. And I suddenly just don't have a good read to practice on because the ones I'm breaking in are not really okay to play on for very long yet. Right. So I'll just take a read out of the box and just just play on it for a practice session and just throw it out because it's not going to be any good. Right. Well, by the end of the session, it's usually just not responding exactly. anymore. Yeah. Or if when I'm playing through new reads and there's one that uh, this is never going to amount to anything, I'll just practice on it. Right. Because, I mean, I can tell at this point, when you're a younger player, you don't really know you gotta give it some which time. reads you're yeah. going to. But other than that, I really, I, I know a lot of people who take a read out of the box and play a gig on it. I just, that terrifies me because a couple of times that I've tried to do it, I mean, halfway through the performance, the read just stops responding. They will and, change a lot. A fresh read oh right out of the God. box, after a half hour, it's going to be very different. It's going to feel way thinner. Well, and and so, what if you yeah. you you do your sound check on the read, and then you have to wait an hour, and while the mm -hmm. audience is coming in until you actually go to play, you just are not going to know what their read is. Once a read's broken in, you know what it is. Yeah, you know what it is from one day to the next, and you know what it is from one hour to two hours later. Right. But right out of the box, you you just can't be sure. It's risky. You might get lucky, and it'd be fantastic. Yeah, you would yeah. definitely shorten the length, the the life of that read if you oh, play yeah. it for an hour. Oh, and then yeah. it's going to be a very different read by the end of the hour. As far as cultivating the habit so you can get different sounds out of different reads, well, I, I don't understand that. I at all. philosophically that make any disagree. Sense meaning, to me at all. well, if I'm playing this piece, I want a slightly livelier sound. I can do that on my Amateur and Air. Right. Yeah. So I think, um, not to well, sure to contradict someone, um, Michael, I think you need to develop your sound aesthetic. You can get your sound on whatever. Yeah. So I don't change my sound for different pieces. I have my sound, my sound aesthetic, my voice, and then I play different styles of music. Yeah, uh, and I might, to, I might change yeah. my color and my timbre sure. for different phrases and different but parts of the piece. But it's still inherently your sound aesthetic. <laughs> exactly, and that's what we're going to cultivate. I don't need a different read to do that. So, yes, within a piece, you may want different colors, but then we need to do that with a good broken-in read. Yeah. So, yes, you do want different sounds of a brilliant or a darker or whatever, but we do that with our inherent sound quality, not the read. We're not at the mercy of the read. 
Well, think you know, about Charlie Parker, right? You can hear, he sounds different from recording to recording, but of course he would anyway, because it was a different day and, a, di- yeah. and a, you know, a different day and he was a different person. I think even if he had the same stuff, he would sound different when he played with strings Slightly, yeah. from when he would play, you know, cause he's affected by what's around him right. just by choice. Yeah. But you know, and also as you get older and develop your sound, but he was playing on different stuff all the time, and it still sounds like him. Exactly, because he had <laughs> an aesthetic. He had a voice. So when I'm trying mouthpieces, you know, it, you might give me a mouthpiece that's radically different from my mouthpiece. I'm still going to sound like me. It's just going to be a lot harder for me to get yep. the sound I want to get if it's not my mouthpiece. Anyway, yeah. Oh, no, speaking <laughs> of that, so I, I recently bought a vintage um, that I shared on the, about on the podcast, a vintage Tonal and Brillhart Alto mouthpiece. It's right. my primary, my yeah. Grail mouthpiece. Um, and I brought it into, I did some playing with my mentor that we brought, uh-huh. got our horns out and got to play some tunes. Um, Fun. and, and I was like, hey, I got this in the mouthpiece. And after we played for a little while, he looked at me and he said, um, he said, you know, you just, um, you sound like you. Right. He said, it sounds good. He said, um, he's like, I don't know if it's that you make all the mouthpieces sound like you, or you kind of gravitate towards mouthpieces that sound like you anyway, yeah. but it sounds like you. And so I, I would worry less about finding different reads for different Sounds. It's not like colors yeah. on a palette, no. and and worry about finding your because when I listen, to, I think Hilary Hahn is the, the finest classic musician that has walked the planet. I think yeah. Hilary Hahn's amazing. Yeah. It's her violin tone. She will change the color of it, but she doesn't right. change strings to play a slightly moodier right. piece. You know, right? So. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. Well, yeah. Well, uh, you know, everybody's yeah. got their opinion. If it works for you to play reads right out of the box, more power to you. But it yeah. does not work for me. Yeah, but I will. I'm going to go buy a read geek and check it out yeah, because I've heard a lot cool. of people. Now, I will say um, another listener. Huge shout out to Julian Chan. Now, Julian Chan is a jazz player uh, and a big name in Malaysia. Nice. He, I studied in the United States. I spent some time here. Super cool dude. Uh, great player. You can find some clips of him playing. Actually, I heard a cool clip of him playing with Branford Marsalis in, I believe, Malaysia. Nice. From, from a couple years back. <laughs> great dude. He gave us a shout out about the read conditioning. No way. Uh, on social media, he's basically said he's had some good luck with that process. So huge great. thanks to Julian Chan. Yay. Um, and if you haven't, also, he's got some of the coolest press photos. Oh, nice. I've seen. I l- I'm going to go look at them. Yeah, I will send you some. They're so okay. cool. Um, nice. but so, go. yeah, so I've had a, a bunch of people write in about the reconditioning, um, working for them. Oh yeah. And, uh, and a couple other people saying, join the synthetic club, you ding dongs. Well, um, yeah, well, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a student who asked me the other day, well, do you usually break in reads that are too soft for you or too hard for you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> yeah. I usually break in the ones I know work for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was an interesting question. I understood the point. And you know, when you're young and starting out, you don't really know what you're doing. And so, yeah. but you'll learn just by doing stuff. You'll learn what's too hard, what's too soft. You'll figure it out. And you'll make horrible mistakes. And that's, yeah, that's all part of learned. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I will say if you, if you start traveling and touring a lot, you'll find when you go to different elevations, oh, yeah. things get wonky anyway. Well, so, I got to tell you, that's when having a broken in read is like going to save your butt when you have a mm, bunch of different reads that all work. Yeah. 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 And if I'm traveling, I don't travel much anymore because I have two young children. But back when yeah. I was in the army bands, I would travel quite a bit and I yeah. would have uh, some broken reads that felt a little on the soft side, yep. broken reads that felt a little soft on yep. the hard side. So if I was going to a super high elevation, I'd be okay. And if I went to a super low elevation, they would change like a quarter strength. They would feel yep. differently. Yep. Um, I forgot the clarinetist, but I knew a clarinetist, very fine clarinetist, that had two of the same mouthpiece and a slightly different tip opening. Oh, that's interesting. So huh. when he would go to the higher elevations, he would use the slightly more closed tip opening because I believe the reeds felt stiffer up there. Yeah. I may have it reversed. I don't remember. It's been a while since. Yeah. I lived at like 5,500 feet in um, the... In, Arizona 
and the reads felt very different. Yeah. And then I go to sea level to see my wife, who was in medical school at the time. Oh gosh. And like my reads were it was wonky. <laughs> but that happens. But yeah, yeah breaking in how, breaking in and having some options. Be a boy, boy scout or girl scout. Be, yeah, pre- be prepared. Be prepared. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you have questions or comments or just glowing praise, frankly. Oh, yes. That's yeah, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, please do write us. We have a new email address, Sue. We do. Are you ready for this? Okay. The Saxophone Academy. The Saxophone Academy. At gmail.com. Got it. Not a Saxophone Academy. The. <laughs> Not some Saxophone Academy. <laughs> The, the saxophone. not your saxophone academy. <laughs> oh, that's nice though. <laughs> the saxophone academy dot com. Awesome. Uh, the saxophone academy at, at. gmail.com. And we will answer more questions next time. Yeah, and if you have a minute, please do us a favor um, on iTunes or Apple Music. Uh, give us give us um, a review. Some listeners have done that recently. Okay. Uh, we'll greatly appreciate it. Some of you had very kind things to I was say. I say, did anybody say anything nice? Very nice. Aww. Very nice. Oh, some some readers. listeners have left have left uh, some listeners I don't know have left some reviews that are very kind and oh, maybe good. maybe I'm glad it's helpful. I'm going to set makes aside it fun. yeah. So if if you do to help more listeners reach this podcast and grow our community, we would be grateful to leave us a review on hey. Apple or iTunes. Um, and until then, hey, breaking your reads. Take care. Yeah, have, <laughs> have a great fun. day, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>